Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. So this week would have been a short week in the UAE after the National Day long weekend. However, with the activity at Expo City for COP28, which started before the long weekend and continued this week into next week as well, uh, business hasn't stopped. There have been so many announcements uh, in the in COP28, all things from Mazdar City, Bill Gates, and the UAE announced $57 billion worth of deals in the first four days uh, and there was another announcement from the banking sector around sustainable finance, committing up to $1 trillion worth of investments onto 2030. Also this week, the uh, exchanges across the UAE were very active. The Dubai taxi went public finally, and the uh, oversubscribed shares resulted in uh, an increase on the first day of 18%. Uh, there was another listing in ADX uh, Phoenix, uh, fintech crypto company, uh, did a $371 million raise uh, and they jumped 50% uh, on the first day. There was an announcement from Pure Health, which is a conglomerate in the t health space in Abu Dhabi, that their now uh, subscriptions are open and they'll be going public soon. Uh, so, so many announcements, so much activity across particularly uh, the public markets in the UAE and COP28. So enjoy the conversation. Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. Today, we're joined by Mark Abraham, founder and CEO of Shackle. They're the first book, Stay, Explore, Travel app, digitalizing uh, the experience of checking in in hotels and all things travel. So Mark's extensive background includes roles at the founders of Future uh, Podcasting for Your Next Generation Hotel and founding Black Pearl Partners. Uh, his background is hotel ma management economics, uh, in, in Ireland, and uh, he's going to tell us all about Shackle. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for coming in. So tell us in, in your words, I probably butchered it there, about <laughs> Shackle. Yeah, so in essence, what we're trying to do is just digitalize the entire guest journey for hotel guests. So right now, in 90% of hotels, or probably 95% plus of hotels worldwide, to get into your hotel room, it's like signing up for a mortgage. You queue up behind people for 10, 15, 20 minutes, you hand over your passport, your credit card, you sign a piece of paper, you finally get a plastic key card and you go into your room. Think about, we live in Dubai right now with Talabat, with Deliveroo, with Uber, with Laundry Heap, you can pretty much insta shop, you can get everything delivered to your house with a couple of taps of your phone. We're trying to bring that concept to the hotel industry. So on our app, you can fill in your registration card, you can pay for your room, you can check in, you can open up your room door, you can order room service, you can talk to the front desk, you can add champagne or flowers to your room if you're bringing your partner, you can pay for a late checkout, you can check out, you can pay your bill and you can leave. So everything you want to do, you can do from your own phone. And that's ultimately what Shackle is today. Oh, amazing. When did the company start? When did you come up with the idea? 
Yeah, terrible timing, February 2020, so two weeks before COVID hit. So bringing out a product in the hotel industry when two weeks later every hotel around the world shut down was not optimal. But I think in hindsight, it actually worked out pretty good because the word contactless kept coming up when COVID hit because everyone wanted to get rid of physical touch points. And ultimately what we are is a contactless piece of technology, right? So instead of going to the front desk and all of these touch points between hand in between the staff member and you as the guest have completely disappeared. And I think people want that convenience on their phone. So it worked out pretty well that we started at that time. You know, I worked in the hotel industry myself, so I studied hotel management at the Shannon College of Hotel Management in Ireland. I worked in hotels around the world like Sofitel, Trump Towers, NH Hotels. I did everything you can think of in a hotel, from cleaning rooms with housekeeping to working at the front desk to the night shift to revenue management. So I really understood the industry. And it was just frustrating that as an industry, we never digitalized. We never brought technology into the guest hands. And that was always kind of what we wanted to do. The bigger problem that I wanted to solve back in 2020 was we've got two companies in our industry that have a duopoly on room distribution, which is Booking.com and Expedia. So most people around the world will use one of those two platforms to book their hotels. They're abbreviated as OPAs or OTAs. OTAs, OTAs. online travel agencies. What consumers don't realize is that if you go on to www.jumiragroup.com versus going on to www.booking.com, if the room night is, let's say, $100, which you're not getting at Jamira, I understand, but just for, for ease of math, if you go on to Booking.com and it's the same room price, $100 per room, because you book on Booking.com, the hotel will only receive anywhere from $75 to $85. So they'll lose 15 to 25% of the margin just because you went on a different website. That's the real big problem in our industry globally. It's only gotten worse when Booking.com brought in their loyalty program, so it's about an extra 10% now that comes off that commission. So as a consumer, you're probably clueless in terms of that, but for a hotel, can you imagine if your margins just drop by 25% overnight? You'd be worried, and that's what's happened in our industry, and that's really what we're trying to solve long-term. Okay, fascinating. I kind of In the middle there, you mentioned that they hadn't digitalized, but there's been attempts or there's been elements that is digital right maybe not the check-in desk but you know the, the the group the way the hotel industry works is sort of uh big hotel groups that manage properties and they've all got loyalty programs they've all got websites they've all got apps so where's the disconnect why why i guess uh would they not sort of digitize further and why is there room for another player so i think First, the independent versus big chain market you talk about, depending on the region, it's about 60%, 40%. So 60% are independents and small chains, and 40% are your bigger brands like your Marriott's, your Hilton's, your Hyatt's. Oh, interesting. We thought it would be the other way around. Yeah, so in terms of you talk about their apps, I'll try to be respectful to their technology. I'm not sure when the last time you used any of their apps, but they're not the greatest user experience. So a lot of them are built on a technology called React Native, which isn't a native application. So it's when you see the buffer in the circle that comes around on the app when you open it up, the user experience and the UX is pretty ugly. And guests and consumers in general are used to going on Instagram, Gmail, WhatsApp, the best tech companies in the world where the user experience is flawless. They then download your hotel app and it's a really horrible user experience. This is why the adoption is less than 5% for branded hotel apps. I will differentiate Marriott Bonvoy, but that's a loyalty program app. We can talk about that in a minute. The real reason there hasn't been adoption, in our opinion, 
is that it's a siloed approach. So every time you go to a new hotel, you have to download a new hotel app. So can you imagine in Dubai, you're on Deliveroo or Talabat, and instead of being able to order from any Indian or Chinese or sushi or burger restaurant, every time you wanted to order from them, you had to download their individual app. It just wouldn't work. It wouldn't scale. You would get fed up as a consumer. You have to keep putting in your home address, put in your payment details again, go through their onboarding experience. And that's what happens in the hotel industry. You know, you've got thousands and thousands and thousands of hotel brands around the world. That means you'd have thousands and thousands and thousands of hotel apps. What we're bringing to the market is an all-in-one solution that's ultimately a marketplace where the hotel gets, in our opinion, the best hotel app on the planet in terms of usability and user experience. And they have ultimate fractional ownership in that. But then the guest, once they use it in one hotel, they can use it in any of our other hotels, no matter the brand. And all of their details are saved. So they don't have to put in their passport details again or their card. That's the difference between us. We do not white label for the hotel because we don't think the guest wants that. Interesting. But the example you gave with Deliveroo, they also take a commission just like Booking.com. And Booking.com, you can't get every hotel. So what, what's from a shackle point of view, where, you know, how are they benefiting further? What's your revenue model? Yeah, so we, we charge for the hotel app. So it's a piece of software that the hotel pays for. But the difference between Deliveroo, let's say, or Booking.com is they're doing one thing. They're distributing your restaurant or they're distributing your hotel to an audience. And they're taking commission for that because that commission is used to market. We don't just do that. We actually save the hotel a huge amount of costs on what we think is like wasted labor doing low-level admin tasks where that labor could be used in revenue-generating roles. So we're not just going to distribute the rooms. We check the guest in. We get them into their room without anyone having to um, check them in at the desk. So we're saving costs there. We're able to take payment for them and reduce chargebacks because we use kind of modern technology where no one sees the card details because we tokenize it. We're able to increase revenue by offering upsells. So with Apple Pay, Google Pay, you could add champagne to the room or add flowers to the room. You could easily get a late checkout if you wake up on a Sunday morning and you want to stay in bed and you can just do Apple, Google Pay and pay for the late checkout. Order volume on room service is up about 20% just because I suppose people aren't judged when they're on their phone saying, can I have two burgers and two Diet Cokes? When they're on the app, they just keep adding stuff to it. So we're generating revenue, we're saving costs, and that's why it's a much more value-heavy product than just distributing rooms. Okay, interesting. And talk a little bit about the, the tech and the, how you sort of launched, going back a bit to uh, pandemic time. You know, was it, um, did you get a minimum product out there? Did you, what was the sort of journey? Yeah. We're a, a true tech company, software only. If people are listening or watching, they might know kind of this, the startup world or Silicon Valley as it's called, venture capitalists, et cetera. So we definitely went down that route. To date, we've raised $20 million. But going back to February 2020, when we started, it was me and my co-founder at the time, Jin. He was our CTO, so he was our chief technology officer. Um, sadly, Jin actually passed away in March of 2020, which was a really tough start. COVID happened two weeks later. I'm not a technical founder. So I made a lot of mistakes in the first year of 2020. I started to work with agencies to build our technology on our behalf because I only raised a small amount at that time. I'd raised 100,000 pounds. Think of it as like a friends and family round. It was with three kind of FTSE 100 executives I'd knew from my previous role. And working with the agency was a terrible idea because you're outsourcing your tech. I actually stood in three hotels in the UK many times for launch day and it just never worked. Mm. Fortunately, in March of 2021, 
I had met a venture capital firm called Frontline Ventures and William McQuillan was the lead partner there. They're a very well-known seed fund in Ireland and the UK and they led a $5 million seed round. And on top of those, William leading the round, we had some incredible investors come in. So we had the founder of Lime, we had the CTO of Uber, we had the CTO of Pinterest, we had the CTO of Workday. And all of a sudden I was thrust into this incredible network of you know, the biggest and most successful brands that Silicon Valley had ever, ever built. That's a brilliant turnaround in 12 months. <laughs> it, it was pretty good. It was, I suppose, the fortune of networking. And I think a lot of these executives had traveled quite a lot and had felt the pain point. So they really loved the idea. And I, it definitely gives you confidence, right? When people who've built billion dollar businesses go, here's my hard earned money for you to go and build your dream. And it gives you a lot of belief. And that was the real game changer because we were able to hire an in-house engineering team then. And I met my CTO, my new CTO, who's still with us today, Misha, who was 10 years at our enemy, Booking.com. So he actually helped build out their first ever mobile product. And he was director of software engineering at Getier. And he'd hired about 400 engineers with Getier. So he'd seen massive scale and he'd seen our problem. And now we have the most incredible in-house engineering team, people from Kareem and Bolt and Deliveroo and you name the brand, they've worked there and built the tech there. So I think we, as a hotel app, I've not seen a company with a better tech team now. And as a non-technical founder, I couldn't be more grateful. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. But it was really unfortunate for your co-founder originally to pass away. And then what do you think convinced as, uh, the people who invested in your company? There was a lot of CTOs. That's kind of unusual that they would, to hear that, right? Uh, what convinced them? I think the part from your persuasive <laughs> skills, of course. The Irish charm, right? <laughs> I truly believe if we get this right, we'll be the biggest travel company since Airbnb. And at the end of the day, there's no point in not being crude about it. We can talk about changing the world and all of that bullshit. Apologies, I'm not allowed to say swear, but it is a little, it's, a, it's a lot of crap, you know, the whole change the world mentality in startups. It's not what you're doing. At the end of the day, it's very much a capitalist business. Investors give you money to make money. And team members take a big risk to come to a startup because they get equity in the business and they hope one day that equity will be worth a lot of money. So when investors meet you, there's no point saying you're here to change the world. And at the end of the day, we're building the travel app. We're not changing the world. We make the hoteliers life easy. We improve their margins and we make guests life easier because I've never met anyone who enjoys queuing up. And ultimately, I think the investors saw that if we do crack this, it will be one of the biggest companies in travel. And if you just look at the market caps of Booking.com and Expedia, I think Booking, last time I checked, was at about 80 billion. Expedia was at about 30. And they've been around for 20, 30 years. A lot of their best talent is leaving. The user experience is good, but I could live without it. And I think they're ready to be hit because they haven't been touched in 20 years. And that's rare in tech that someone doesn't come and, and touch them. So That's compelling and stuff. And so then the, the fundraising, there was 5 million, now there's 20. What round are you at now? We just did our Series A. So we raised the $15 million Series A. At what valuation? Uh, don't know if I'm allowed publicly say it, but like, I don't know, $60 million. Yeah, and so, and when, when the sort of entry to the Middle East or Dubai, or what brings you here? So when COVID hit, we had a choice, right? It was Miami or Dubai. Terrible locations to have to pick from, you know. I was really <laughs> sad to have to pick between them. Miami I went to and I felt, right, if you've made your money, this is a good place to be, but I didn't feel it was the best place to build a startup from. And then I came to Dubai and I sent a cold email to a gentleman called Gerald Lawless, who many people who are listening will probably know. He was the founding CEO of Jumeirah Group, launched the Burj Al Arab, 
ultimately a legend in the hospitality industry. What he did for Jamira Group and Five Star Hospitality in the region, he's the one who kicked it off, no matter what anyone says. And I think when he was leading, Jamira was the best hotel luxury brand in the world. I went to the Shannon College of Hotel Management um, a few years before Gerald. I like, <laughs> I like to joke with him. Or a few years after Gerald. And we have a great alumni. You know, we went through what we like saying is we all went through the army because we had to wear suits to university, we had to polish our shoes, we had to be cleanly shaven every morning. We had roll call. It wasn't your traditional, you know, university degree, which I'm sure many Irish students enjoyed in, in, in Irish universities. But Shannon was like going to the army and at 19 you're sent off to work full time in a hotel. So I sent him a cold email, asked him could I bring him for a coffee. We met up for breakfast. Uh, his dad was a farmer, my dad's a farmer. We got on very well, you know, he, he ended up being a, a great mentor to me and he introduced me to some incredible people in the region. The one blocker that we found when we arrived in Dubai, because our experience is all about getting from your Uber to your room without having to speak to anyone. That's a non-negotiable, that's the first wow. Like when we watch our guests come into the lobby sometimes, they're looking around and they're like, am I allowed to go to my room? Because no one's done it before, right? It is madness <laughs> to think that. I use the same analogy of airports. When airports brought in the digital boarding pass 10 years ago, it's now at like 95% plus usage and people have their hand luggage and go straight through security. Yeah. In the next five to 10 years, hotels same will hotel. redesign lobbies where they won't waste all of that real estate because people will go straight to their room. It is not part of the guest experience. I've never met anyone who enjoys queuing up to get into their room. So in Dubai, it's a legal requirement for hotels to scan guest passports at the desk and then that gets sent to the authorities. So we met Issam Kazim, who I'm sure everyone knows. Um, you know, what, a, yeah, what a man to lead, lead the, the tourism board here. Incredible guy. And we pitched making Dubai or continuing Dubai's smart city route. And you know, I met Paul Griffiths, the CEO of Dubai Airport, and you know, he was very much on board with this experience because he said to me, my job is quite unique. I have to get my customers out of my shop as quickly as possible, and that's a good experience. Most people want to keep them in their shop. And we're the same. We need to get them as quickly into their room as possible. That's our experience. So we worked with the authorities across Dubai for the last two years, and thankfully now in Q1 next year, we'll be going live with our first set of hotels where the guests will be able to take a picture of their passport or Emirates ID in the app. They'll take a selfie. We'll do the biometrics. We'll send that information to the authorities. Their digital key will become active and they'll walk straight past reception and go straight to their room. That's incredible. So uh, that's really, really interesting because everyone knows that. There's plenty of times where people go on staycations in the UAE and have to drive back because they've forgotten their passport, right? Like plenty of times you can't check into hotels. But uh, can you explain that a little bit more on the, on the biometric side? So even without the passport, you can still sort of check in as well? Yeah, so if you're a resident, you can use your Emirates ID. And then obviously if you're a non-resident, you have to use your passport. So you just take a picture in your phone and we scan that, we capture the information, we post that information to what's called the property management system in the hotels, or the hotel has the details, and we send it to the authorities. But at the same time, we ask you to take a selfie where you have to look left and look right, and that's a liveness test. And then we use that liveness to correlate to the passport, which you know scans both sides and makes sure it's a live match. You'll then get a green tick that it's a live match, and you know the success rate is you know, pretty much 100%, it's probably better than human error. And 
therefore then you're activated and you can go straight to your room. So it can, it can just, take a few minutes, but you can do it in the car. You can do it wherever you want. The, the, the journey takes 40 seconds. Okay. Yeah. We've, we've timed it. So it's, you know, it's pretty quick. I think Emir um, Emirates just launched it with maybe Abu Dhabi airport where now you don't need the passportless travel. Mm. You know, I've talked to Paul Griffiths about this, where imagine if an Emirates business class flight comes in and they walk straight through security and walk straight into their cab and then straight into their room all at one journey mm. and that's really where eventually i think we're going to get one seamless traveler journey where it is passportless because it's you know now the adoption of apple pay and google pay i don't know anyone who really carries cash around anymore and we're getting to the stage where people don't even carry their cards around anymore mm. and i think we'll get to the point where passportless travel will happen globally okay. and dubai and Abu Dhabi will lead that but your luggage can still be carried to your room for you of course, no, don't <laughs> worry, the hotel will still have... That's the thing, right? The, the staff now have more time to deliver the guest experience. So imagine you arrive at Jumeirah Sariot Island for a staycation, and I walk out to your car, and I know from your profile and your check-in, because I've seen your face and your profile, I go, Rich, welcome to Jumeirah Sariot Island. Let me take your bags. I know you've already checked in, so I'll walk you to the elevator, and I'll tell you about the hotel. That's way better then what's your name? What's your email? What's your phone number? Give me your passport. Give me your credit card. Yeah. That's not guest experience. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but Mark, just a little bit about the, the t obviously you've, you're proud of it and you like the tech and the user experience. And it seems like that that's the bit that you guys have done well in terms of, uh, you know, with the airport analogy, there isn't an app that does that, right? It's the, you know, the, the check-in is done via the airline app, and I can scan my QR code, and I can don't have to. But that's done via the airline app, and in the same scenario, it just you know, it's just confusing to me that the hotels would welcome this technology. Like, have you faced resistance that they don't want it on their own apps? It's not a good analogy, and I'll tell you why. So, I can travel the world with Emirates, British Airways, and American Airlines because there's so few airlines in comparison to hotel brands. But it's like night I, and day. If I'm going to Saudi like this week, I go on the FlyNAS app, I check in and get my QR code, yeah. and I pass through without, without doing the check-in at the airport. So every air, like it's, the, it's back to what you said about downloading the app, yeah. but, but like if I want to, but it's, it's like the checking the face thing. If I want to download the app, if I have good internet, it's fast, download the app, check in, and I pass through the airport. But I, I'm not doing it via an aggregate gated company but that's my point because there's so few airlines in comparison to hotels but like if you're traveling around hotels especially in dubai right many people stay in three or four hotels during their trip or then go to abu dhabi and you're not i've not met many people who just want to stay in marriott's right and they were entering a generation where you look at the likes of Enishmore coming up and all of the independent brands you know there's not that many younger generation who want to go to a Marriott or a Hilton anymore they want to go to independent brands they want to go to small chains they want to try that so there's thousands and thousands and thousands of hotel brands and there's very few airlines in comparison that's why the airline does work but I still have about six airline apps on my phone which is annoying if it was one I would much prefer it Fair, okay <laughs> so now like that's six and it annoys me yeah if that was hotels it would probably be a hundred yeah yeah, a lot of people do use that. You're going to mention the Marriott Bonvoy. A lot yeah. of people... Marriott Bonvoy is great, but it's great for a different reason. Yeah, okay. What is... You want to know? So it's <laughs> great for the loyalty program, right? Because it is. It's gamified, and you get points, and then you get free nights. And Marriott Bonvoy works really well in America, as does Hilton Honors, because there's enough distribution of Marriott and Hilton hotels in each major city in America. 
And especially if you're a corporate traveler, you might not care as much if you're staying in a random, basic Marriott or Hilton, and you get your points then you can use in your leisure. But we're not selling to Hilton and Marriott. We're basically going to the smaller chains, and what I mean by smaller chains, like less than 100 hotels, and independent hotels, and saying, hey, we can give you an app that is 10 times better than Marriott's at a fraction of the cost, and long term, once we get enough density of our hotels, we will also bring in a loyalty program that will finally be, allow you to be able to compete with Marriott Bonvoy. Mm. Because once you join our program and users love having one app for all of these hotels and they're actually getting points on all of the independents, that's where it becomes really powerful. How, how, what sort of resource do you need to sign them up? Yeah, but it's, it's no different than a go-to-market strategy for sales, right? So you might have a handful of salespeople who will take different regions and you go to conferences and, you know, we're very big on content. We have our own hotel podcast. I'm speaking at lots of conferences this year. We're doing a partnership with the Hotelier Middle East. I'm sure we'll do something with Love in Dubai. And it's just about getting yourself out there. And we're very be big believers in it's a content first strategy. And, of course, at the moment... It's probably a lot founder-led sales. I have a pretty good network in the hotel industry, and my investors know lots of hoteliers. And it's, you know, no company just starts and all of a sudden the entire world signs up to their product, right? It's kind of hard. That's the hard graph that no one sees behind building a business. It's but but you sort of, you get the main big one. You get some of the kind of relatively well-known ones. There's stamp of approval, and then it's kind of word of mouth then amongst the industry that they can go onto your website and they can get in touch that way so you can have inbounds as well. Yeah, like let's, let's take Jameera Group, for example. Their usage is about 8% on the app. <clears throat> Our usage on any given day is about 22 to 28% better than that. 8% of people who check in use the Jameera app? Yeah. So over the year, based on the amount of rooms they have, it's nearly a million more guests would interact with us versus the Jameera app. Yeah. But yeah, have your own branded app. It works, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> fair. But look, I, I guess that yeah. I, I mean, from the point of view of the the proprietor, uh, you know, also, especially I'm thinking of the boutique small hotels that sometimes it's not always about efficiency. It is about the warm welcome, the smile, and is what's the sort of convincing point to get them to give up that as well? Well, firstly, I completely disagree that that you're giving that up. But let's say, let's just go down that path for, for the purpose of conversation, and that is, it's not a zero-sum game. So we're not doing a Michael O'Leary and Ryanair on it. We're not charging people extra to check in at the desk if they don't check in online. So if you want to still go to the desk, that, that will still be there. But when we talk about being able to give the warm welcome and the smile, you're, you're talking about the perfect front desk agent on the perfect day where they're happy and they're not fighting with their partner and they love their job and they're so happy with their minimum wage and they just smile at Rich because Rich is such a great guy. Like, it sounds good in theory. A lot of the time, they probably don't love their job. They don't really want to check you in with a big smile sometimes. So if it's perfect, amazing. It's always great. But my point was, if you've already checked in on the app, you've done all of your details, you've been assigned your room and you arrive and you arrive with your partner, your kids, and someone comes and greets you at the car and smiles and takes your luggage and walks you to your room. So instead of spending five minutes or 10 minutes or 50 minutes checking you in physically, why not spend five minutes walking with you to the room? Like that's guest experience. So what I'm saying is that technology allows you to do more of what we actually love as hoteliers, which is guest experience. But the whole thesis of it takes it away, I think is such a easy cop out and pretty archaic thinking. Yeah, fair, okay. So uh, you came to Dubai, you choose it over Miami, uh, 
have you built your tech team here? Did you find your talent here? And what's the, uh, and where did you register the business? So we started in London and Amsterdam. So our, our, t our tech team was initially in Amsterdam, but we've relocated 60% of them now to Dubai. We were initially in um, the World Trade Center as a free zone at WeWork. And we've moved to Dubai Internet City now, where we've got a, an office, a 30-person office. We've already relocated 15 people, and we've got another 10 coming in January. So we've relocated the vast majority of the team to Dubai, and we'll probably be announcing Dubai as our global HQ in the new year. That's excellent. So you're 40-ish you're people? Yeah, between 30 to 40. A few hires are signed but have their you know handover period with their other companies so. on their way and yeah the makeup of that team uh, largely tech operations marketing yeah largely tech and product and um, that's about 75 percent so like our product manager came from bolt and cream here in the region garish and ruben's back in london he came from Soho house and blinkist and then all of the engineers who are moving over and then we've you know marketing customer success sales um, and some ops and finance and uh, away from the hotel sort of app and technology for a second, the travel industry has had different types of, uh, like you mentioned Airbnb, that's quite close, but there's been different types of tech plays over the years. What's your view of the current kind of status quo in tech and travel overall? It's very siloed. It doesn't seem seamless. You know, I go on booking.com to find my hotels. I go on Skyscanner to find my flights. I arrive in the location and I have to check in physically and everything is like a, a physical experience in property. I then want to look and see what I can explore experiences. Do I go and get your guide? Do I go on TripAdvisor? Do I go on the tourism website? Do I speak to concierge? It's all siloed and we're trying to create a book, stay and explore travel platform. So, you know, it's not just a check-in app. You can book the hotel, you can stay in the hotel, and you can explore the city, and everything will be in one place. And that's our long-term vision, is what we can do. So right now I see it as siloed, um, and I think it shouldn't be. Oh, so, okay, so this will, uh, I kind of mentioned those words at the start, but I wasn't thinking when I said them. So <laughs> the book, Stay and Explore. So at the moment, what's alive now is stay. the stay part. And uh, that, so you're kind of, you're looking to disrupt other elements as well. And the Blinkist, you mentioned someone we used to work for there, what was their purpose? As a company? Blinkist is, takes um, books and condenses it into short snippets so you don't have to read 500 pages and you get the, the content in a handful of snippets. Oh, okay. I thought, yeah. yeah, okay. And there, there was, what, what were the other ones that have sort of, um, like TripAdvisor, obviously, but what, wasn't there a few, like Culture Trip, and there's a few other sort of content type travel companies? Yeah, for sure. And that would be the explore part. You would try and give content to people. Exactly. Like we were at Abu Dhabi Tourism this week, and we were hoping to plug into their tourism website to pull all of the activities and then showcase it on the app. Initially, it'll just be content-driven, so they can just read what's happening in the region. Mm. And then once we get enough engagement on that, we'll bring in the capability for you to book it directly through us. Okay, fair. Uh, so, so the books they explore, and is, will it be the same business model across all? Uh, so, for example, the current business model is the hotel pays for the app, the user doesn't. And then on the on the book sides, there might be uh, you might charge a fee. You might would there be fee if you create a conversion for someone? Yeah. So right now, like I said, the average hotelier is paying anywhere from eighteen to thirty percent 
if we came in and we said, hey, we already digitalized your stay experience, we save you money, we're increasing your revenue, we'll now charge 2 or 3% to bring you direct bookings, they would bite your hand off it. Because even if they did their own in-house marketing, got off every website, they'd never acquire customers for that little percentage of the room price. And then on the activities, you might make 10, 15% commission on it. Um, and you maybe share that with the hotel. And then the, the thing is, is we give all of the data back to the hotels. We have a couple of data scientists who put all of the weekly data that you get on the guests into very readable and digestible graphs. And no hotel company has a data scientist working for them. So if you ask hoteliers, tell me the split between business and leisure guests, tell me where they come from, tell me what age they are, tell me how long they stay, tell me how much they spend, tell me what they do in the city. They'd never know any of that. So you could have a marketing campaign, but you don't know who you're marketing to. Like I'm sure Love in Dubai tracks all of your users and you know who views and who interacts, and then you know, okay, this is our target audience. Let's build more content for our target audience. Hotels have no idea. They could be marketing to a 22-year-old couple for a romantic weekend, and it's 70-year-olds who come. That's extreme, but <laughs> yeah. you, you kind of get what I'm saying. Yeah, similar. Okay. Uh, so, and they can access that on a back end on the app. So, and, and the user as well, they can see their history of trips and everything. Of course, yeah. The hotel has a dashboard where they can see it. We also send a nice PDF that's beautifully designed by our marketing team, led by Matt, who's here with us. And yeah, the guests can see it on the app all of their past days. You, you know, you're talking a little bit about uh, the sort of, say, book. Staying Explorer. When you talked about Explorer, I thought of content. And Mark, what's your view on, uh, you know, well, uh, let me put it a different way. In the media industry, a lot of um, sort of thought leaders around content and digital media companies over the years have used that same analogy in terms of uh, getting the cut on the travel. And their view is that sometimes them as content publishers, like um, travel guides and magazines, websites, or different platforms, they're the ones who create the inspiration, and they help people decide where to go, and the OTAs take the cut, and they don't get the cut. So it's kind of like affiliate for content, but they don't really get it, right? Same as Instagram, you see an influencer who's inspired someone to go to Bali or whatever, and then they go and book it, but the influencer, the person who created the inspiration doesn't get the cut. Uh, do you think that they should? It's a capitalist world. Like, the, you know, how the world works is how the world works. You can't complain about stuff. You need to build it so you are the person who gets the cut, not complain about it. Consumers decide how they book, and if they see their content via an influencer who I'm sure got a free night at the hotel, um, <laughs> you know, and that's what they want, their free night, you know, build a software platform that gets distribution and build a marketplace if you want to get a cut. Who but, inspired the person to make the trip? It doesn't matter because what you're saying is like, what I would say to the influencers, try start a startup, try raise from venture capitalists, try hire great people, try build tech, what try get scale. It's what like, about a journalist who has a vocation, who works with a media company? Yeah, but it's just complaining. It's kind of like, you know, at the end of the day, you need to be the source of where the consumer books. And that means building some sort of a global software company. And that is the most difficult thing you can do. It's the Olympics of business building a startup, without a doubt. So you can write a little blog piece and I'm sure you inspire people, but... You know, no way do you deserve to to get a piece of the action. Like all of the action, if you've not built the company, is where the consumer books. But Instagram have booked the, built the company that inspires people. So could they cut you out? But Meta are fine, right? Pretty sure they're doing decent revenue on advertising. So they are. Like that content that they're publishing and inspire people, well, it's the people who are advertising on the space. The content is their product, and they need more content to get more advertising. So they win on that side. 
Yeah, but uh, you know, I get the capitalist point of view, and I get the what you're doing, and admire it. But uh, you know, from a, a point of view, of, is there an argument to say that uh, for on the content side that those people have sort of inspired people and travel guides and things like that? Because if if there isn't, then they they won't exist anymore, right? Like, and uh, or maybe you know, we've seen X and other platforms uh, change their business models more. So. Uh, much like if, if you were here talking impressively as you are around your company and you're in the fintech space, I would ask the question, go, well, what if Apple just added a feature? And at the same point, what if uh, people with two or three billion users added a feature? Uh, what, what if they had a check-in and what if they had an explorer? Yeah, again, not to be disrespectful, I think that is the, like a lot of people say that it's, it's the most uneducated response in technology to say what if Amazon did it like if you speak to investors it's just like they have so much to do and like really when you're a true obsessive over your space they're the companies that tend to win so like you know people would have laughed at Netflix starting and like what if Blockbuster did it but they didn't right like so this is this is the point it never happens that way ever 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 so I'm not worried about that for us I think with the content people I wouldn't be worried about platforms like us. I'd be worried about like AI just doing a better copywriting than you can do. Um, but we'll work with um, content creators. So I don't know if she's listening, but Food Diva, I was told by Tom, is someone who does great reviews of restaurants in Dubai. And it's someone I'm going to reach out to see if she can actually publish the top 10 brunch places in Dubai and we'll put it on the app. We'll pay her for that content to write. So that's how we'll probably approach it with true yeah. great content writers. Okay, so you, you wouldn't be worried if Apple, like they have with uh, uh, credit card, Apple Pay and investment, if they launch Apple Travel, you wouldn't be worried? No. Okay, fair, cool. And content and margins then, you know. And I'll tell you why, right, because it's, it's, it's not a flippant answer. Apple would have to integrate with every property management system, door company, and point of sale system and get a sales team to go and sell to every hotel in order to do it. And then the hotels wouldn't be able to get guests who come from Android, which is 50% of users. So they would actually have 50% occupancy every day because Apple is only 50% of the mobile market. Probably Android would copy so, them though. Yeah, not happening. <laughs> no, good answer, good point. Uh, cool, so yeah, just on the, con on the margin side, because uh, you know, if you, the business model around the explore section, what, what is that again? Yeah, we don't have it mapped out fully, so I'm very much open to it and open to feedback. And we just like listening to people in terms of like, what's the best way to do it? When I speak to concierges, and I know, you know, you've been to many hotels across the UAE, you usually see a person who's sitting at a desk and it says tours and activities. There, yeah. when I speak to them, they're already losing a lot of their commission to online platforms. So it's about listening to those people who have a job and saying, right, well, what if you created content for us and we're able to take that physical desk put it into the explore part of our app and then we do a deal with all of the suppliers and we say right can we get 15% commission and we'll give 10% to the hotel and that person at the desk and we'll keep 5% for distributing it for you and now all of a sudden the hotel can fight back to the online platforms and that person can still keep their job who's doing tours and activities so that's why I think we'll partner with the hotels because right. they're already losing it to get your guide and trip advisor yeah, and it's definitely something that's broken, right? Like in terms of uh, that seamless experience and, and booking the hotel, but then d things to do part. Yeah, but it's also like next year we're going to bring in tipping in the app because what you were seeing already is that like I used to work uh, as concierge in my earlier years and you'd love when you bring someone up to the room because you'd be like, you know, where's my 20 quid cash? Because you'd live off it at the time. And that stopped a lot. And I don't know if you've been in a similar situation where like you had great service at a restaurant 
but you can't tip them because you don't have cash with you. But if you mm. go on the app and go, oh, you know, twenty dollars to that person directly, to that actual person, like Rich, the, the waiter, not to the bill or at the room, and you're, they bring you up and they had done something nice for you, you can tip them directly. So we're going to work on that. And this is where we don't bring in tech, just in case that sounds contradictory. When you sit in a restaurant in a hotel, we will not put order food in the app at the restaurant. Maybe it's a bias, but I hate the QR codes in restaurants. Give me a bloody menu and get the waiter or waitress come over and tell me about what the chef has created and bring the human touch to that. So we don't do that. We order room service because room service is pretty basic and you're in the gym or at a meeting or on the way back from the airport and you can order so it's ready when you get back. But in the restaurant, we don't actually do tech there. We do think the human touch is very vital there. Yeah, okay. But I think in the QR code example, they don't place the order, they just look at the menu for now. But what a terrible experience because you've got to keep scrolling down, you can't see the dessert beside the main yeah. course or the main course beside the side or the side beside the starter. Like We all like looking and going, right, what will I have for my entire course? Okay. And you're actually seeing that people order more volume when they can see the entire menu physically than the order volume when they can only see it on a scroll down. So, so again, as an F&B manager, owner, if you're listening, get rid of your QR codes because your order volume's down. Hmm, hmm. I don't know if I agree with that. It's well, like it's, the analogy it's stats. of the newspaper. It's stats though, right? Like if you run a business, you want to have a higher order volume because that's more revenue, top line revenue. I'm not talking about margins, just top line revenue. Now, if I come into a restaurant and I can only see minimal parts of the menu every time I scroll, that's bad therefore, <laughs> yeah, of course it is. But this is what's happening, my point. And I'm ordering $50 worth of food but I have a menu and I order $80 worth of food. Mm. As a manager, it's your, or as an owner, it's your duty to optimize top line revenue. Okay. So that's what I'm talking I'm just talking about stats and data. I'm not talking about personal subjective opinions. Right, okay, cool. And sort of the roadmap then in terms of profitability and uh, you know, series A and, and next, like were there question marks around that and what's, do you have a path to profitability? It's so, it's so different in, in technology, and it's, it's not a cop-out answer, but it's at our stage and our scale, talking about profitability is very silly when you're looking for global scale. So for us, it would be proving out enough over the next two to three years to do a bigger raise than our current valuation in terms of cash that would hit the bank account to really scale globally to every city, and that's what we'd be doing. So we're all about market share right now. And the, the, the addressable market is global, but uh, do you have sort of regions that you think you can grow faster in and maybe is that one of the reasons why you're here? So I think the reason the UE is great is because there's a huge staycation market and you even mentioned yourself earlier so people from Ras al-Khaimah go to Dubai, people to Dubai go to Abu Dhabi, Sharjah, etc. So for the booking engine for us to test and launch that to see what engagement we would get on it we think the UE is a great market to bring in a UAE only booking engine for the staycation market okay. and then using that case study to then go and you know, sell to global investors to say, hey, we've proven out that we can compete with Booking.com and Expedia in one market. Imagine what we could do on a global scale. And you're always telling a story, right? It's like I have a vision in my head that's concrete, but that vision is 15 years. And then you need to like bring that back to where you are today and go, right, what do I need to do over the next three years? Because that's how much of my current cash in the bank I have. And what do I need to prove out in order to get the next stage of money so I can go to the next three years? and then the next three years. So a lot of what I talk about today is not done, but it's in my head, and I need to actually execute on the next three years in order to keep going to year 15, so. Yeah, and, the, and then do you have market entry plans, or is it a little bit like, not, like we t talked about earlier, like word of mouth, can you get, could people in Australia start using the app or in South America, and can hotels get on board, or, or do you, are there 
certain legislation and legal things that you have to do in those places? Certain markets have certain legalities, like obviously Dubai had the identity checks. A great route to market for us is that specific identity check. So we're doing the same with Abu Dhabi. We're doing the same at Singapore. We're speaking to Saudi. So it's a great USP for us to have it because if no one or very few people will have it, therefore you're minimizing your competitive set straight away because you have that partnership with the tourism board or the government. So that's a great route to market initially. If someone in you know, Barcelona reached out and said, we'd like to use your app, of course, like I just said, I have to get from here for the next three years and revenue is a part of that to hit a certain revenue number in order to raise the next round. So we would take them on board, but our focus is 90% on Dubai, the UK and Ireland. Mm. And what about guest houses? Uh, you mentioned Airbnb and your background is hotels. Like, do you think that you can also play in that space? The one mistake most founders make is they go too wide too quick and don't have enough focus. And it's something I've definitely you know, had to learn from. But going into the Airbnb market now would be an absolute disaster because it's like basically a new product line. And when I sign up one Airbnb versus one hotel, instead of getting 200 rooms with one hotel, I get one room with one Airbnb. So it's not a market we'll probably ever enter. And I think Airbnb are very silly not to be just doing it themselves. If I was Brian Chesky, and he's obviously a much better founder than me at this current time, I'd be, you know, he's a public company, I'd be using some sort of instrument to raise a couple of hundred million on the debt markets, and I would put a digital lock on every Airbnb that's on his platform and own the entire stack. And give him that idea for free. Well, you should do it, and then he can invest in us. <laughs> he probably will. You yeah, have all it's others. such a silly thing that they've not done yet, and I think they really should, because they'd embed their product deeper into the stack, and they'd completely own it. Mm. Because I think they're, I don't know what they're up to right now, entering the hotel market as well, and they're just becoming another OTA, and I think they'll lose their, their, their who they are, their culture, their values, mm. you know. It was just a big marketing play, a whole, like Airbnb is the best marketing company in the world. So they said, we're after hotels, we're coming to get out of hotels. But I've never seen a hotelier march to the local town hall and say, Airbnb are killing our industry, like you saw with the black cabs and Uber. Yeah. They haven't touched the hotel industry. Mm. What they touched was me and you can't rent in central London because Airbnb is more profitable for an owner. Mm. And they've actually pushed out young families and young people living in major cities. But if that was the marketing that was driven forward, Airbnb would be ousted by the local governments. But that's actually what they did. They did not disrupt the hotels. They disrupted the locals mm. being able to live closer to where they work. Mm. And they had this spew of, you know, stay with a local. 90 plus percent of bookings are where you rent the whole apartment. You're not staying with the owner. And, you know, you're in Ireland and going down to the farm because you're staying with a local farmer. That doesn't happen in Airbnb. So marketing geniuses, but actually a pretty negative co company. Okay, punchy. <laughs> but, but you're doing that, you're going to be friends to the hotel companies then? 100%. Give all of the data back, take the lowest amount of commission we can, and improve their user experience and improve their revenue. Okay, well, you're here, we're finishing up. You're here at the start, first day of COP28. Uh, it's the weather's good, uh, it's tourism season at its peak in Dubai. Uh, you know, what's your, are you bullish about the region and do you think you can grow a global startup out of, out of Dubai in this region? 
I think Dubai is an amazing city, both for lifestyle, security, safety, if you're into your health. I think the sunshine just makes you just a happier person as well. I think if you grew up in Ireland like we did, you notice the difference between the cold and the rain. I think the quality of people that are moving here and not just moving here for one or two years, but are actually moving here with their families is exceptional. The level of business meetings that you're able to have here compared to a number of years ago is just keeps rising every single year. Um, I think you know they need to be careful about it becoming a millionaire haven and not actually keeping the culture of Dubai and allowing different people to, to mix in different areas. So I'd be worried about that. They need to fix the traffic. I think we would all be in agreement. But Dubai is just exceptional. I think the fact that we could even meet the government and speak to them about digitalizing the guest experience, it doesn't happen in many places. And I think examples of like Kite Beach where they have the running path and it's just a little bit softer on your knees or people want to swim at night so they put floodlights on the beach. Mm. They just listen to their citizens mm. and they want to make it the best place in the world to live. And I think the connectivity to all sides of the world with the airlines, Emirates and Etihad, I think it's probably the best place in the world to build a startup. I think from a funding perspective at the early stage, they probably need to get better, bring in more seed funds give more chances to entrepreneurs, because it is about failure. It's about taking a load of shots at goal, failing, but going again. And I don't know if we have that mentality yet at the seed stage of funding. Okay, touch a number of things there. We're brilliant listening to you today. Uh, we know a lot more about Shackle now, and we follow you and them in the future. Uh, thank you to Ali Khalil and Hamid Hashim, who put together this episode. Uh, you, you've been listening on an audio podcast, but it's also available on Smashy.tv, a streaming service where we tell inspiring stories for the driven, the dreamers, and the doers. This is under the Smashy Business Vertical. Uh, you can get an iOS, Android, but all smart TV apps as well where we stream the local sports in the UAE. This was a Smashy Business production as part of the Augustus Media Podcast Network, and we'll be back next week with another episode. <laughs>